Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. How's it going, pal? Any crack? I'd murder about pens. Ah, lads, I'm in a bleeding bojangle. Ah, Jesus. Are you messing? Get up out of that. He's some dust. He's bleeding massive. He's some shaber. Ah, there. He's your man. Hello, hello, top of the morning to you. How's it going? Happy Easter. How are you getting on? This is the Tis Yourself podcast and Tis Myself, Nicola Barton here. I hope you're having a great Easter. If you are like me and you did Lent, I hope you managed to survive to the end and you've, you're now currently surrounded by Easter eggs. Well, if it's Sunday onwards, surrounded by Easter eggs, chock-a-block, literally, either side of you and you're just loving life or whatever you gave up for um, or took up you know for Easter as well like that um I broke mine a little bit but I'm gonna do an extra couple of days next week on the flip side to make up for it but it's been a hard old it's hard it is 47 days lads and so I'm telling you now it's hard and especially when you live at home and your press is there and it's staring at you calling out your name and there's loads of Easter eggs just looking at you going buy me eat me eat me eat me I'm telling you, I'm going to be sending that's what my plans for the weekend. Eating chocolate till it comes out my ears. <laughs> um, thanks to everyone who listened to last week's podcast. So last week we had Joe Rooney, if you didn't see it, um, from Father Ted, a.k.a. Father Demo, Oasis Uplore, the whole lot. Tell Father Frost you can feck off. The amount of people that sent me messages after was like, you should have quote with this, you should have quote with that. I'm like, yeah, but like... I can't throw all the Father Ted quotes in. Um, and also, he would think that was so weird. So um, he gets he gets stuff from the fans uh, all the time. I'm trying to be professional, you know. <laughs> You're right. I said to him quite a lot. Um, but anyway, it was really good. Uh, and thanks to Joe, because he shared it on Twitter and he shared it on Instagram. And he wrote a little message saying how nice, it was, how nice it was to talk to me. Really appreciate that because, you know, that's how the fans you know, who don't listen all the time, get to listen to it. So it's great to have some Father Ted fans to find that. And of course, if you don't already, he has a podcast out called Talking Ted for the Father Ted fans. Now today, completely different genre all over again. So this season, we've had two actresses, uh, two singers and a comedian. We are now topping the scales back in the singers. Um, They're now in the lead because we have a singer, of course, today. And he's Irish. So again, Irish in the lead because we've had three... Um, Irish guests and two UK guests so this is the fourth one Irish in the league come on um, so this is great so I got to chat to the lovely Vinnie Mae Jr from Codeline and I have to tell you this so 
we chatted on Zoom and it was meant to be on one day and it kept getting distracted and changed and stuff like that because obviously he's very busy. And so when it eventually happened, I didn't realise that we only had limited time. It hadn't, it, it, the message just got lost in all the confusion with the days and the recording. So I didn't realise we only had a half an hour and I was blathering on about stuff and this and that and the other. And I got the entire code line backstory and then I didn't really get to talk to him about what's going on now. Uh, so apologies for that but there was someone ringing Vinny and I was to you know do another interview and I felt so bad so you'll notice at the end um, we jumped straight from you know where streaming and chatting all about that to uh, their gig which is coming up at C Sessions in June in Donegal so apologies to the hardcore Codeline fans who want to know what's happening what's on the horizon I can tell you that they've got a gig in Malahide Castle and they've won in C Sessions that's a few across Europe that's as much as I can tell you and that is just because of that so my apologies and really big thanks to Vinny because he stuck around a little bit longer than he was meant to so that we could finish off the chat and that was great so listen I'm going to leave it here and let you know Vinny take over and this is a nice short episode for you this is myself chatting to Vinny from Codeline Hello everybody welcome to another episode of Tis Yourself and I hope you're really really well what's the crack what's happening I ask this every time and like, it's not like anyone can answer me. So maybe someday you can just DM me and tell me how you are. <laughs> Does that help, you know? Um, big thanks to everyone who listened to last week's episode with Father Ted's Joe Rooney, which was really, really good crack to record. And um, Joe shared it and everything. So nice. I tell you, the promotion side of, of the podcast is the hardest part of the podcast. And I'm sure it's the same for small businesses. It's like... You can, I can record the episodes, I can find the guests, I can edit it. And then it's like, oh, hi, I have to put myself out there. And I'm just like, beg people to listen to me. Yay, great. I don't know how singers do it. I don't know how they do it. Um, you know, especially the ones starting out early days. How do you do it, lads? Luckily, my guest today doesn't have that problem because they're well established now. And they have a team behind them now. Everybody knows who they are. So when they release new music, people are waiting for it. They're dying for it to come out and see what the next songs are. So, yes, my guest today is Codeline star Vinny May Jr. Um, if you are a fan of Codeline, you'll know that uh, Vinny plays the drums. And, um, you know, the band have been together a, lo- a long time now, which we'll hear all about in this episode. And... Yeah, they've had a really fascinating kind of story and yet remain very humble, still live in Ireland, um, you know, which is unusual for really successful musicians. A lot of them um, feel the need to head off to the UK or America or stuff like that and only come home, you know, Christmas or whatever. Um, But obviously the lads are huge here and they're selling out gigs all over the place. They've just been announced as the headliners for C-Sessions on the Saturday. So it's great. It's like, it's just so nice to see Irish musicians doing well and especially after two years where they couldn't have any gigs like you know what I mean there's pepper in their kitchen or you know on a stage with no crowd so I always love talking to these lads they're just really really nice very down to earth like they chat to you like they remember you even though they meet so many people just lovely just lovely lovely lads so I'm going to leave it here and let myself and the chat with myself and Vinny take over and I hope you enjoy and if you do please send it on to a Codeline fan in your life Hi, Vinny. Nicola, how's things? How are you? Good. How are you? Yeah, not too bad at all. Where in the world are you? Uh, just, just home in Dublin. Ah, okay. I was like, yeah. this could be anywhere. You could be answering me from Malaysia or anywhere. <laughs> no, no, not yet. Hopefully uh, early next year we get over to South, Southeast Asia. But uh, yeah, for the moment, it's just in lovely, miserable Ireland. 
Nah, today is not so miserable. Yesterday, horrific. <laughs> yeah, yesterday was pretty bad. Yeah, it's a bit, bit cloudy out there. It's warm, though. So. Yeah, it is. It's warm. Well, thanks a million for coming on and having a chat with me today. Um, I know you're very busy, so I, I think we'll just jump straight in, if that's all right with you. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Well, listen, I always kind of chat to people about their starting out story, because I think especially for people who are themselves starting out or like, how do you get to the heights of, you know, the likes of Codeline? How do you get to be like that? And and I know you guys have, a, you know, been together such a long time and been friends a long time. Like, do you who were you first friends with in the band, like back as a youngster? So myself, Mark and Steve used to skateboard together in swords when we were like 14 years old, I'd say. Um, and yeah, we just kind of were friends through skateboarding. Um, and Mark and Steve were in school together from like primary school. And they went to the same secondary school. I went to a different secondary school. So we kind of just knew each other through skateboarding. And they went away to the Grail Talks one summer and started a band. And when they came back from the Grail Talks, they uh, knew I was a drummer and said, would I be interested in starting a band with them? So that was, uh, I think we were, yeah, I think we were 14. It was like 2004. I think when we first started. Uh, Yeah. So yeah, that summer. um, And yeah, and it kind of just went from there. Like the usual thing when you start bands and you're younger, you know, you're just rehearsing and jamming loads in. Like we, we, my parents were quite good. They obviously, because I was a drummer, so it was a lot easier for lads just to rock up with guitars than me lugging around a whole drum kit around the place. So everybody always used to rehearse in my house. So yeah, we're just doing that and then trying to get gigs in local pubs and bars and stuff like that. And when we were 14 years old and trying to <laughs> pass off being like, oh no, we're, we're 17, we're 18. Like, you know, we can be here after nine o'clock. So all that sort of stuff. So yeah. Your that's parents kind of, were delighted to like, get this band out of my garage and get them out to start playing gigs. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And, uh, but like, I, I was in a couple of different bands growing up. So there was a constant stream of smelly teenagers coming into my parents' kitchen. Uh, making cups of tea and going and playing music way too loud like you know where did the drums come from like the love for that because you know sometimes when people first start playing music I know the thing is the guitar always comes to me or or piano and that would be from like your parents might put you through piano lessons drums has always been that little bit edgier so where did that come kind of come from uh my eldest brother um played drums for a while uh when he was a kind of teenager and kind of into his early 20s and I remember being a, like, God, I must have been maybe three or four, I think. And there's a picture of me, like, sitting behind his drum kit. And I suppose I kind of seen uh, his band rehearse again in my parents' house once or twice and just kind of thought how cool that was, you know. And mm. and drums just kind of always appealed to me. I'd always just end up looking at the drummer, you know, and kind of rhythm was always such a huge part for me growing up. And and there was never kind of one style of music that I really wanted to play. So drums, like my dad is really heavily into jazz and blues music. And my mum was mad into country music. And then brothers were kind of into like dance and rock and pop and sisters and all that sort of stuff. So I kind of got like a bit of you'd walk around the house into different people's rooms and there'd be different music playing. So drums, I was just like, that's something really versatile. I can play all these styles of music and just kind of... And then everybody always plays guitar, so drummers are in short supply. True. Yes, exactly. That's the, you know, you can guarantee you'll probably get a gig. It's funny when you yeah, say that. Yeah, exactly, yeah. 
the different styles of music. I remember I've got three sisters all younger than me. And I remember like I was mad into it when I was in my teenage years, like Eminem rap, like I loved all that. And then the opposite end, I'd love like the likes of the Foo Fighters and stuff. And then my sister yeah. was into ballads, like Celine Dion, Beyonce. Then we've got like the, the teeny boppers who were into that. You know, like it was like, doom, doom, doom. Oh, and we yeah. just go room to room. My mother's head must have been melted. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I can imagine mine as well, because the same brother that so played drums, he was then like he was a DJ for a while and worked on like pirate radio stations playing dance music and stuff. So. <laughs> you'd always have dance absolutely blaring out of it. So I don't know where my kind of love for rock and roll music came from because nobody in my family was in or is into rock music. You know, I just, I suppose, found something just from people in school and and kind of went down that avenue kind of. But now I've kind of an appreciation for all of it where I'll, I'll listen to dance music from in the gym or going for a run or I'm a massive hip hop and rap fan. So I listen to that kind of more so than anything else. And then rock and metal music are kind of what I grew up listening to and like emo music and all that sort of stuff. So it's uh, wide and varied. I can, now you said emo music, I'm seeing the skateboarding. I'm imagining you're banging yeah. out the drums, getting out the anger. You, you probably had an emo vibe for a while, did you? <laughs> I did. I had long fringe with a blonde strike going through it and wearing <laughs> jeans around my arse and everything. So, yeah. The bad boys of swords, eh? Yeah, exactly. That was <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> so, like, you guys were, you know, pretty serious st- starting away. Like, when you started a band, you were like, we we're trying to get gigs and stuff like that. But did you actually think, though, like, this is going to be a career or were you just happy enough to be playing with your mates? Uh, yeah, it was, it was the latter. It was just happy to be playing music and playing people you know when I was when I first went to secondary school like I had been playing drums for a couple of years maybe three or four years and I was never in a band I was always just playing music by myself um and then when I was in secondary school like they put on like lunchtime kind of concerts for like other kids um that started bands and stuff and I was was just being like god how cool would that be to play at a lunchtime gig like in our school and I remember seeing lads play guitar and bass and being like holy shit they're really good like you know and and I went to lessons my parents were like if you're going to play drums you're going to like stick at it and you're going to go to lessons you're not just going to like dabble at this if you're going to go you're going to do it properly so so I was like quite like far on from like other people that kind of might have started playing drums like um because I was so dedicated to going to drum lessons so I was there uh, all the bands that I first was in were in with lads that were much older than me you know kind of two three four years older than I was um just because I was that little bit more advanced than some other guys that were only starting out like um so yeah doing all that sort of stuff was just it was always just fun it was just cool to play drums and play music with other people and never like I always like wished that I'd be like in a famous band and get to tour all over the world but that was kind of the furthest thing from my mind really yeah you're probably thinking like I'd love to do that but also what am I putting down on my CAO form it's probably not going to be music it's going to be you know accounting or whatever yeah exactly yeah yeah completely it was always high in the sky stuff like you know and that I'd make a living from playing music you know and and writing songs what was your first gig then what was the like the first person who said yeah go on you can play then use lads together I'll give you a bit of money for it 
God. Uh, it wasn't a, it wasn't with Coldline. It was with like another band. Um, and remember like blast gigs used to happen around Dublin on like mm. a Saturday afternoon. Um, and then I think eventually I got Coldline a gig with a blast gig as well in town. And uh, yeah, it's, it's one of those things like there's like, I, I don't know. I don't think they happen anymore, but like back then it was like, it'd be, 10 or 15 bands playing and everybody would get like 15 minutes and you have to play three or four songs and then the next band would be a five minute break while everybody kind of jumped down and swapped like gear up on stage and the next band got up and played you know so they were kind of the first gigs and they were always in like really random places in town like really kind of small little pubs that aren't there anymore or like Temple Bar Music Centre or the vaults in the IFSC. Um, they were kind of some of the places that we played or, or Radio City beside like Bosaris and stuff. Oh my God, hilarious. So get the bus home yeah. afterwards. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, completely. <laughs> my God. Like, so when did it start to become a serious thing then? Like, do you think, do you, do you think maybe the lads already had it seriously in their head and you were kind of just happy to be like, when did it start to go, right, we're, we're doing this properly? Um. I think when we were in school, like we'd play Battle of the Bands and we'd like win Battle of the Bands and you'd, the, the prize would be like recording time and we'd always go in and like be super serious about recording, like, you know, um, and we took that side really seriously and took songwriting, I suppose, really seriously. So like any time we'd go in, we'd have studio time would always be to record a new song of ours, you know, or to do something like that. So we kind of took that side really seriously, even when we were like 16, 17. Um, and then I suppose after, after we all had done our leave insert, um, I think Steve was going back to repeat his leave insert uh, in the Institute. Uh, Mark had got a job in the button factory doing lights and I think I was working for my dad's company or I could have been working in like PC world. <laughs> and uh, after Steve had done his leave insert again, um, his parents were kind of pushing him to go into the college. And he was, I think he just kind of convinced his folks that he just wanted to try and give this like a shot for a year. And basically just, and same with Mark. Mark was like, right, I'm just going to do this for a year. We're just going to write every day book recording time anytime that we can anytime that we can afford it and send demos out to every label that we could think of uh, and find and we did that and eventually we got picked up by uh, a record company and publishing company called Be Unique and it was kind of about six months or seven months of kind of going back and forth where they were like you're not quite ready the songs quite not quite are there but they they obviously saw something like you know because mm. they kept on coming back over you know and um and we kind of did that they they would fly over to dublin we'd play some songs uh they'd fly back and then we wouldn't hear them for a while and they'd be like yeah it's getting there you know so that kind of went on for a while and then eventually they were like yeah we're gonna we want you to fly over to want you to move to brighton um and because we had done like a writing session over there and mm. uh, with a guy that was already signed to their label so we were like yeah we'll go there we'll try to find a bass player we'll write some songs and we were there for about like a month i'd say and we didn't find a bass player we never rehearsed all we did was like 
party and just go out every night and yeah and then they we signed a record and publishing contract and went straight into recording the first album jesus that's gas like i just listened to that and i'm thinking there's a lot of songwriters and musicians who would be very precious about you know their lyrics or the songs and put together so if a record label comes back to them and they say it's not there not fully there you're getting there and they're like i poured my heart and soul into these songs and somebody's like, mm, you're just not putting enough heart and soul. Like, especially early in your career, that has to be a bit of a like knock every single time you have to go back and try and sell the song, you know? Uh, it is and it isn't. I suppose like at the time we were like 20 and yeah. like 19, 20, 21. So like these guys were in the record industry for years and they had signed like the Kaiser Chiefs and uh so and they because you were kind of one of their biggest kind of bands at the time and primal scream and and i can't remember what else they had there was another act they had uh ordinary boys as well so they had like bands that were doing really well like in the 90s so it's kind of far from us to kind of doubt what they're saying and mm. um, especially when we were kind of only starting out as kind of musicians and songwriters like, pro- like properly to try and make this art and not just for fun and so I suppose it was, we kind of took whatever they had to say, like to heart. And we were like, yeah, we obviously aren't like ready, you know, and that just encouraged us and spurred us on to just try harder and uh, and just to not give up. Because I suppose we also kind of knew that we were obviously on the right track if they kept on coming back over because we wouldn't have heard from them yet again if they didn't see any potential or if they didn't like something that we had to offer, I suppose. I suppose it's funny for people like me who feel like you know you guys it feels like in a way you guys burst onto the scene I suppose and you kind of forget people have like worked really hard at this beforehand it's like you hear let's say a song like High Hopes and then it's everywhere on the radio and then next thing you're hearing all the songs and the albums out and stuff like that and you go oh these lads seem to have you know, come out of, come out of nowhere, and they're they're doing really well. And then you hear stories like yours, like we had to keep writing, rewriting the songs, or we had to beg and send out like our demos to everyone we could find and stuff. And you're like, it, it like it feels like you don't get to hear that a lot. Some people's stories don't go that way anymore. Yeah, I think that that's probably social media has probably got a huge part to play in that. Like you know that people can be discovered on social media and anybody can upload songs onto Spotify now. And whereas kind of back when we started, like none of that was really there. Like, you know, you had like MySpace and Bebo and stuff, but like (laughs) you couldn't, uh, yeah, like you weren't really getting discovered off that, you know? So um, now I think it, it, like it is, and it isn't easier today because also you've got just the amount of music that is being released every day and the amount of singers songwriters and bands and djs trying to make it and trying to carve out a little section it, like it, in the whole entire world like it's it's ridiculous like there's there's so many acts you know that are constantly trying to to break through and so many that just don't make it or don't make, and just fall by the wayside so i suppose we were kind of lucky in the fact that we were kind of one of the lucky ones that we got signed straight to a uk label um and I remember like the first time we came back to Ireland and we were signing copies of our first album in the office, the Sony office in Dublin. And they were just like, where did you guys come from? Like, we never heard of you before. And we're like, we sent you demos <laughs> like years ago. Like, so they obviously just got like fired in the bin. 
because uh, we sent we sent demos to every label that had an office in Ireland as well as the UK, you know. So, but that's the thing, you know. Everybody just kind of assumes like, where did you guys come from? Like, what's your story? And we're like, we've been a band for years, and we've sent you demos before, and we're just ignored. So, for every kind of one band that makes it, there's hundreds and thousands of bands and singer songwriters that don't, you know. So it's it's all about kind of being right place, right time, I suppose. Yeah, and I also think that it takes some um, serious confidence in yourself and your music and your band because, you know, when you send out 50 demos and you don't hear back and you're sitting staring at the post going, do we, send, do we, do we put your number or my number? Who's house down? You know, wait, do we put my address by down by accident? Just checking everybody's post box nearly. Just being like, yeah. will somebody please get back to me? And you're like, it's very easy to be like, well, I'll go back to PC World then, you know what I mean? No one's getting back to yeah. you. To have the confidence there going, no, this is going to happen. Yeah, I think we like certain songs that we had written and we were like, fuck, these are really good songs, you know, and we kind of just had self-belief in ourselves that, mm. you know, if we just kept at it, I'd like something would eventually happen, you know, and and then I think when Be Unique got involved, I think that was the first time that we were like, right, okay, we're definitely on the right track now because here's this record company that are hugely experienced um, and are showing interest in us, you know, um, so we're obviously doing something right. So that just kind of really fed our enthusiasm, I suppose, you know, to just continue and just to work harder at it. And do you feel now that like your lives kind of in a way changed overnight, not like, you know, in, in the space of a couple of months, basically once, you know, let's say when the record came out, you started getting airplay um, and, of being over in Brighton going on the piss for a few weeks and then suddenly records out and everybody's like come here come play at our show or whatever yeah like so we like we started making the album in 2011 2012 oh yeah the end of 2011 is when we started making the album Mm. um and it was only the three of us like we didn't have Jay uh yeah Jay wasn't even in the band at this stage um and so we had just been working in a studio uh, near Birmingham, um, uh, just the three of us and our, and our producer and a uh, mixer and working away for like three or four weeks. We went home for Christmas, like we were signed at this stage, like, you know, but it just kind of felt very normal. Like it was just like mm. we were just away for a while and it was very normal Christmas, I suppose. And then we were into 2012 and, again still kind of working away on the album and the album came out in 2013 but the first song started to get released uh, towards the end of 2012 so there was still like a long period of time where it kind of felt like nothing was really happening but we were kind of busy like you know and nobody really knew who we were and it was only after kind of all i want came out and like fern cotton played it on bbc radio one and then we were like holy shit that's massive and then like straight away we were getting flown over to the UK to go on the radio and have an interview with her and then YouTube the video uh, for all I want started to gain kind of go viral a bit you know and people were just like who is this band and and then kind of from that point on then kind of things just seemed to kind of go like AWOL like it just started to go absolutely crazy then at that stage. It must have been so weird for like your friends and family and, you know, girlfriends and all that, that, that in between time where you're like, I'm signed to a record label. And they're like, it's been six months and you haven't released anything. You're like, no, but we are working. I swear we're doing stuff. Yeah. yeah well, like you said, like we moved to Brighton in 
2011 and then it was the summer of 2013 before and it, like before an album came out so like that's a long time to kind mm. of be away and, and kind of being like no yeah it's, it's coming out now or it's coming out then you know but we were still working on it I suppose and then I think when we released the EP in 2012 and all I want was on it I think that was people really started to kind of take notice of us and be like oh actually they're they're serious they're like they're going to release an album because this song is kind of doing great things you know and and then when we released the album and like it went number one in Ireland we were like that is the best feeling and then it stayed at number one for like I don't know how many weeks, like 10 or 12 weeks. And we were just like, that's just insane to us, you know, and selling out shows all around Europe and stuff and playing festivals all around Europe and just, just stuff that we just thought was absolutely crazy. You know, just all this sort of stuff started to happen so quick. Cause I actually, I read something recently, just like on how amazing that is to get a number one album in Ireland. I read something recently. Um, it might've been by Dermot Kennedy or something, but it was about like how hard it is for Irish artists to actually top the Irish charts these days because of this was streaming and everything and you know yeah. Justin, Justin Bieber is releasing new albums so that's getting you know thousands and thousands and you think that you know the Irish acts would would I think that's probably why they have the homegrown charts now because they're like also please support your own as well please yeah no like it's also kind of just a, a sign of the times like when we first released uh, in a perfect world in 2013 like cd sales were still huge like yeah. you know they're still massive so and streaming wasn't like spotify was only just starting really like you know and, and nobody really used spotify or deezer or amazon music or like apple music like th- those things weren't even invented yet so like everybody it was basically through buying copies of the cd or vinyl like and in HMV or in Golden Discs or Tower Records or in Tesco or whatever, you know. So that's where everybody got their music from, you know. Um, so nowadays, fast forward, like, nine years to when, like, we released our last album, like, you know, you sell a, a couple of thousand units of, like, actual physical copies, but the rest, is the majority of it comes from streaming. So, like, if you have a, a huge streaming artist with a massive audience, like, there's no, there's, there's no chance of competing, like, you know. And that's mad because you guys, you guys are so well-known here that, like, you sell out concerts all over Ireland, like, you know, in an instant. And it's like, yes, you would still, like, it's still hard. You still have to put a lot of effort in to try and get the number one slot or whatever like that. I imagine, though, is the number one thing, is that a bit faded now with the lack of, I suppose, the lack of CDs being sold and stuff like that? Like, do people, are people still kind of striving for number one anymore? Um, I don't know. It's 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 pretty various smart arts. I think it's a nice thing to have, you know, mm-hmm. and I think it's a nice thing and like a like a nice accolade, I suppose. Um, but at the same time, like we, we were never really that fussed on, like it's the same with like reading reviews and stuff like that of your album. Like uh, the reviews to us was us selling out shows. Mm-hmm. You know, people coming to our gigs and hearing our music, like you know, and then if we got a number one album, then yeah, that's kind of like the cherry on top, but it was, it's more so about getting to play in front of people and seeing actual fans reaction on their faces. Like, you know, when we play a show, like that's way more important to us than like a review that either somebody loves the album or slates the album, you know, it's kind of people come to our shows and, and that's the most important thing to us that we're able to 
tour all over the world and we're able to go to America or we're able to go to Australia or Southeast Asia and all, and or headline a festival in India, like that to us is way more important. Yeah, like I imagine it's like it's great to get, you know, a great review or as you say, number one. But if you rocked up to the three arena and there was only 400 people sitting there, you're like, right, if a number one album and a great review, that's not the same. <laughs> There's nobody here. Yeah. You'd be fuming. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 100%. It, it kind of, <laughs> like, it's, yeah, the, the proof for us is kind of in people coming to our shows and enjoying the music and then leaving that night with, like, have, with, a, with, like with having a great night. Like, you know, that that's kind of what's more important to us. I imagine your, um, some of your shows are predominantly female and then you probably see a few boyfriends being dragged along as well. Uh, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's kind of, like 70 30 uh, mm. females um that's just kind of what like our team tell us <laughs> in terms of like analytics as well for spotify and on social media and stuff like that so <clears throat> it's predominantly female um but again like you know it's i suppose that like our, our audience is kind of varied as well like you know mm. you, you'll go to one of our shows and you'll see teenagers and and kids with their parents but then you'll also see kind of like people in in their like 40s and 50s like you know it's like music kind of if 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 a song touches you it doesn't really matter what the age of the act is like you know or you're all kind of there as a shared experience you know i don't think we're exclusively for one type of age bracket or uh it's 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 for all really like you know yeah, like I was just thinking that, like, I'm pretty sure I was thinking in my head of my own friends and I was like, I know all my female friends have been to a Codeline gig at some point. So that's why I was like, it has to be predominantly female, just because I'm like my own group, all the girls have been to one. But then I'm thinking, yeah. I suppose when you mentioned a song, how many couples out there have a Codeline song, you know, it might have been their first dance or their their song, you know, that means a lot to them, because obviously a lot of them are very emotional tracks. And I, I've been to a lot of weddings where it's been a Codeline song as their, their first dance together. Yeah, yeah, completely. Yeah, it's uh, that kind of never ceases to amaze us, I suppose, you know, that uh, people want some of our songs to be like key points, uh, like for in big life moments, you know, whether it's funerals or whether it's weddings or engagements and stuff like that. So that's kind of always something that's pretty incredible to us that people like that they use our song to kind of mark key moments in their life, you know, and, and I think that's something that will, like, will always kind of never not amaze us, you know. Except for you know, if you're a girlfriend of one or you know, wife of one of you guys, are like, well, I can't have one of that. Even though I really like all I want, I can't have that as as my first dance song. Nearly like write another one there, Vinny, will you? Write a new one just for us. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. I know you don't have much time left, so we'll just kind of suppose wrap it up with the fact that you have um, some big gigs coming up. You're playing C Sessions in Bundoran in Donegal and that you are headlining on the Saturday, I believe. Uh, yeah, C Sessions. It's going to be awesome. It's like it's a, it's a festival that like we've heard a lot about, but we never actually got to play it. So we're kind of really looking forward to actually playing it. Um, and there's some amazing Irish acts playing it. You've got Byron Lingo, All Twins, The Scratch, Maliki. There's, yeah, there's going to Moncrief. So there's going to be some amazing Irish acts playing. And, and yeah, it's just going to be a really kind of nice vibe to get a bit back to normal again after the past two years, you know, and just like have a beer with some of these people and catch their sets as well. So it's going to be a lot of fun. I imagine, is this your first festival post-pandemic then? 
no, so we've we've got a couple of festivals around Europe. So we've got some festivals in Germany and Spain, uh, Switzerland and Portugal during the summer as well. So um the and then the day before we play C sessions, we have our own headline show in Malahide Castle. So yeah, it's uh that that weekend will be a fun one, but no, it's it's not the first one. I think we have three or four before that. So anyone who didn't get tickets from Malahide Castle can come and see you guys. C sessions, your headline this Saturday. Listen, I'll talk to you soon. Lovely to chat to you. Thanks so much. All right. Chat to you soon. Bye. 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 Well, that was a nice short episode for all you fans. You know, sometimes this podcast can go into over an hour. So hopefully if you're out for your Easter walk and you're walking off all those Nestle eggs and, you know, the cream eggs and the multiple Kit Kat eggs that I'm going to eat, you've got a chance to listen to this, got to burn some calories, get some steps in and still kind of enjoy what you're listening to. If you are a Codeline fan, uh, please do share this with other fans. You know, I'm sure there's fandom out there. You know somebody else who is. Please let them be aware of the podcast and get them to listen. And if you just join us for the first time, we have, I think I have 44 or 43 episodes behind. So surely there's one person there you might enjoy. So scroll back and have a little listen. And as always, if you can like, follow, subscribe, rate, review, any of the above, you know, whether it's on Apple, Spotify, Google, anything like that, or it's just Instagram or Twitter, come and follow there. Just any little sign of support is so, so welcome and I really appreciate it. And anyway, I say this always, uh, be kind and look after yourselves and sure go on and I'll talk to you next week. Have a good Easter.